You are now tuned to TEIJG, the Totally Enthusiastically Interested in Japan podcast, formerly known as the Teaching English in Japan podcast. I'm your host, ET. Let's get this thing started. Hey, how's it going, folks? This is E.T., July 5th, 2013. Happy belated July 4th to all you Americans out there and anybody else in, out in the world that it celebrates our independence. <laughs> it has been a scorcher around here in Texas. Last week, we had temperatures up to 40 degrees Celsius, which I think it was like 108 here in San Antonio area. Where I live, there's not much humidity usually, but it was just straight heat so if you stepped out of your car and made you know the three to four second walk to inside of the store that you were going to or whatever you could just feel the intensity of the sun beaming on your skin it, it's not the the crazy cut through the humidity japan type heat it's just a straight up dry oven cooking temperature over here in texas and i'm not sure which one i like better people say it's a dry heat it's a dry heat but man it's still a freaking heat when you go when you're at that 40 40s uh degree celsius number but yeah it's it's been hot but the only um the good thing about it is we live pretty close to some rivers and some uh lakes so and of course pools so we have been spending pretty much an hour to a day underwater or in the water trying to cool off but yeah other than that, I've been working. I'm glad to get back from my uh, travel. Got to apologize for that really short episode last week, but hey, at least I got one out. I'm trying to get it out every every week, regardless if it's short or long or whatever. And next time, I'm, I'm next time I'll make sure I bring my mic so it won't sound as uh, tinny and and full of room noise as it was in the past episode. Okay, let's see what should we roll into. I know. Let's roll into the first story of the day. So this first story comes from the cool but kind of freaky. Freaky deaky. So uh, researchers at Yokohama City University uh, have been have announced that they're the first... For the first time, they've been able to use uh, human stem cells to actually create a working human liver. Now, this is great for... Uh, you know, for people who have cancer or damaged livers or things like that. But if you want to think on the science fiction side, this means that uh, we're probably getting pretty close. I mean, I don't know how many years it'll take to make a, a clone of the, of the human body. But uh looks like they're, uh, they're working pretty hard at this, at least trying to be able to, to produce uh, organs, human organs from from stem cells and the like. But yeah, this is pretty funkadelic. I don't know. I'm not sure what I think about it. I mean, if I needed a liver or a kidney or something like that, I, I, I think it'd be a lot safer and easier to get one of those produced from my stem cells. That way you don't have to worry about taking all the drugs for reactions to, you know, uh, what is that called? When you, uh, I can't think of the English word. I can't even think of the Japanese word, but basically a oh, reaction, you know, you take medicines 
for your human, human body is pretty pretty smart so putting a foreign object such as a kidney from somebody else inside of your your body usually it, it's not a fan of that and it you know attacks it which is why they have all these, these tests that try to get blood types and matches as close as possible but if you make one in a petri dish or however they do it in the lab from your own stem cells then hey it should just plop right in there and just connect them up and it should be raring to go. Uh, we'll definitely have to see how this pans out in the future. I mean, I, you know they've been working on this. Every country is probably working on this. Um, America's probably a little bit hindered because we have a lot of uh, rules against the whole stem cell research thing, which kind of sucks. I mean, we should be, me as an American, I I hope that we should be uh, you know right at the front in this process, but Hey, whoever gets there first, that's cool. As long as you know it helps the human race, it'd be it'd be pretty cool. Okie dokie. Now let's move on to the old next story. And the next story is what do we got here on the list? Oh, Centauri. Centauri is a maker of alcohol and beverages and other little snacks and things like that. I'm not sure what else they make, but mostly known for their alcohol and beverages. They are. Uh, set to wait. Let me see what the date is on this. Basically, they're IPOing, and so probably one of the last big IPOs. And this comes from Reuters, Japanese company IPOs. I mean, when's the last time you heard of a company from Japan IPOing and anybody actually reporting or caring about it? So when did they? Oh, Wednesday. So yesterday, day before yesterday, they actually IPOed, which is pretty cool and kind of a funny story, interesting story. I actually worked teaching some business classes, you know. At many companies, and one of the companies, we had a six-month contract with Centauri, so I taught them twice a week, and a great bunch of people, and kind of a funny story was the person that had taught before me, maybe a couple times before me, uh, was stupid enough, or not thinking enough, to bring a Coca-Cola product into Centauri, which is, I believe, an official Pepsi distributor as well and they have their own you know drink so that didn't go over very well so i made i made a point of actually when i brought my drink in i just brought some change and i bought the drink from their vending machine in the building which was a centauri vending machine and you know i, I usually got cc lemon or uh or like a oolong tea or some kind of green tea or something like that but or pepsi yeah, they, they actually IPO'd. And I think this might actually be a great product to, not product, great stock to maybe, I'm not going to give you any advice, but to look at and maybe think about, you know, potentially investing in. Because actually they have kicked up their game when it comes to whiskey production. Japanese in general have, have rated pretty high with their production of whiskeys in the recent years or so. Plus, I mean, they're everywhere in Japan. So maybe this might be one if you want to, dip your toe into the Japanese stock market invest well into the Japanese market investing through a company like Suntory or something like that might be something you might want to look into but I wonder what the uh, let's do a quick look at the old ticker let's see what we got here Suntory is looks like it uh I'm gonna have to pause this hold on one second Podcast pause coming up now. And with the magic of podcasting, we're back really quickly. So it looks like it debuted at about 3,100 
yen, and now it's at, well, 31.60, and now it's at 32.60 since the time of the IPO, which was 7-3-2013, so a couple of days ago. Hmm. And it is actually traded on the Tokyo Stock Exchange. So, yeah, if you're interested, I'll link it up in the show notes. You can have a look at the chart and, and uh, see what you think is going on there. Yeah, it looks to be looks to be going up, so that's not necessarily a bad thing. And the this description, Suntory Beverage and Food Limited in J- is a Japanese-based manufacturer of various beverages and food stuff. So, as I said earlier, food and mostly alcohol is my 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 uh, my knowledge of it is mostly alcohol and little snacks that they give now and then. Okay, I think it's time to roll into a new story. Let's go from the alcohol to the game systems. And it looks like we are on the verge of new systems. So we're going to have a PlayStation 4. We're going to have Xbox One, which is the new new version. We're gonna, and the Wii U came out last year. But the Xbox has never really had that great a success in Japan. They've tried hard by having an exclusive title or two. But if you go to any of the big electronics like Yodobashi or Best Tanky or anything like that, it's usually relegated to a corner that no one really pays attention to. Really small game selection. And uh, PS and Wii are just the PlayStation 3 or 4 or uh, PlayStation Vita or the the DS, 3DS, the Wii U. The Wii always did much, much better than Microsoft. So Microsoft had, has had a hard time breaking into the the gaming market in Japan. But And even now... With the new consoles coming out, they're going to be debuting here in uh, probably early November, just in time for the Christmas season. But in Japan, they're pushing it till the f- 2014. And I don't think there's actually been any date <laughs> to when it's going to... It's an early release in 2014. But, you know, early could be three or four months in. So the, the Japanese... Um, game players or anyone that might be slightly interested in in the Xbox One will have to wait. Of course, if you're a gaijin or a foreigner living in Japan, the best thing to do is probably, uh, depending on region locking, and I'm not sure how the Xbox One is, they're probably not going to be region locked. So if if you really want to get one soon, put your order in, get your family, your friends, or, or make a trip and just pick one up in your country and then bring it back. That's what I would recommend. And don't forget to check, you know, the whole power supply thing. Cause if you're in Australia, plug it into Japanese socket or vice versa, there could be some damage going on there, but the U S and Japan are usually interchangeable. They're so close that you can actually, uh, just use the, the same socket. But yeah, it looks like Xbox can be a little bit late. And I, I think, I don't think Microsoft's too worried about it. I think they're hoping that if the a majority of the big titles, come out on the Xbox or look better or perform better on the Xbox, that that effect will help stimulate Japan uh, demand in Japan. But I'm not sure that's going to actually happen. It's going to be hard. It's a hard sell in Japan to beat PlayStation or Nintendo. But you never know. This might be the console. This might just be the console that does it. Okay, let's move on to the old next story, third story. Fourth story, sorry, fourth story of the day. It looks like Apple Computer is trying to get the the patent for the the word and the concept of iWatch. And I think the Japanese consumer is really keen on technology. Uh, kind of an- anecdotally, 
the difference between a Japanese consumer of electronics and geeky kind of technology is they will sit down, read the manual completely, and use it. Whereas most American people that I know or foreign people I know just grab it and start trying to use it to figure it out. But at least anecdotally, that's what I've heard and, and read about in the past. But anyway, so it looks like they're trying to get a patent in, in Japan. And maybe since I think it's a good place. I think Japan might be a good place to debut. Of course, I'll probably debut it internationally. But I think Japan might be a really good market to, to aim for. Because Japanese customers do not mind spending money for quality or perceived quality and in apple's in apple's case definitely i would say quality but yeah it looks like uh we might be having an old iWatch. so possibly keep your phone in your pocket and then on your wrist you can see updates and do all kinds of funky stuff maybe it'll be a you know a pedometer you can track your walk in and all kinds of fancy stuff like that so it should be cool i'm looking forward to it We'll see what actually comes of it from there. And uh, next story. Wow, I got a lot of technology stories. Well, actually, liver, liver, alcohol, Xbox, iWatch, and now Line. Line is the messaging slash communication software that I've been raving about. Basically, you can message anywhere. Anybody with Line on iOS, on uh, Windows Phone, even on Android, on a Windows desktop, on a Mac desktop, can use the Line client to text message each other send pictures uh little virtual emoticon sticky things and even voice voice uh, messages it's huge in asia especially japan korea area well they're actually going to start heading to india which i think will be is an awesome market to hit i mean just the number sheer number of, of people there in india and this will definitely disrupt um you know the the telecoms I mean, think about it. You won't have to use, like, minutes. I mean, you're still using data packets, of course. But the whole minutes and text message charges and things like that, which kind of affect us here in the U.S., and I'm not sure about in India, but, I mean, just a universal messaging app. I mean, there's there's a few out there. WhatsApp. Uh, Apple has their iMessages, which only works on Apple for now. And the main reason I actually started using Line because I knew people that had Android and iPhone and a few with Windows Mobile or Windows Phone, whatever the number, whatever they call it now, they've actually uh, been, I mean, it was hard to get messages. You could do email, which is no problem, but sometimes you just want to do a little quick chat back and forth and Line definitely takes care of that. So pretty cool. And the interesting thing, which I didn't know is um, the genesis of the Line product came from after the tsunami and earthquake where basically the the phone infrastructure just broke down. And so, but where people had internet, their internet was still working, but their, their mobile phone system wasn't. So it kind of came out of that, that whole thing right there, which is pretty awesome. And let's see, looks like, um, a little bit of more information about where line is being used. So it's, it's becoming more and more popular outside of Asia with 10 million users in Spain, Mexico, and Argentina, the company said. So that's pretty awesome. And let's see what else it said. Uh, yeah, stuff like that. But uh, they're going to hit that Indian market, which is, you know, huge. And if they can get their apps running on a... I mean, a lot of people in, in you know, developing countries... I, I don't consider India a developing country. I consider parts of India to be a developing country. But, you know, because um, I've been there and I've seen, you know, you got the definitely differences in... Uh, 
way big differences between the, the lower class and upper class and things like that. I mean, from people living in dirt houses with a satellite dish on top to people bawling in their Mercedes Benz with a big freaking house. So it's everywhere and in between. But the, the kind of linking thing is a lot of a lot of people from poor to rich have cell phones. Or maybe even if they're poor, maybe share cell phones. But Lion is thinking, you know, we can hit this market and hit it hard. So kudos to the guys over at Lion. I guess the executive's name is Akira Morikawa. So pretty cool, pretty cool. Let's roll on. What's what's the next story here? We got a... Uh... Oh, let's see. So so the elections in Japan are, are, are kicking in pretty strong right now. And before the Japanese... Um, politicians and people who wanted to run for office could not use the internet, but now it has, that has changed. So they are now allowed to use the internet and social media for their political campaigns. So this should be interesting to see if some of these old fogey stogies can, 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 uh, be ousted from their seats by some young whippersnappers who know how to use, uh, you know, modern internet and social media, but we'll, we'll see how that comes. But I just thought I'd, uh, Link it up in the old show notes over at TEIJG.com so you can read up on that over there. And this comes from the New York Times. But hopefully that'll stop the politicians with in their cars with loudspeakers driving around. But I seriously doubt it because, let's face it, the majority of people that vote in most countries are older. Young people, they don't really care too much about who's running because they say, oh, it uh, doesn't matter if I vote or not. It's not going to help. In Japan, is definitely. I mean, the retired people really get into the voting. Nobody else I've ever talked to really cared or even pretty much didn't even vote unless there was an interest. Like, for example, my um, my in-laws, you know, there was a if there was a candidate, the local candidate in the area that, you know, was more pro-business or whatever, they would say, okay, everybody go vote for this guy because he's supporting us. You know, that's just the way it is in every country. You vote for who you know and who will help hopefully benefit you most. And uh, that's that's pretty much the way it works. But uh, it should be interesting to see what's going to happen with their use of YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, the web, email campaigns, and, and things like that. Next story, let's roll into diapers. You say Japanese diapers. Well, according to the Wall Street Journal, Japanese diapers are all the rage in China with the tiger moms. And I'm not sure where that tiger mom thing came from. And I, I didn't really research too much in to find out what the heck a tiger mom was. My assumption is a tiger mom is a Chinese mom that runs the household or something. And she's a tiger. Rawr, rawr. <laughs> something like that, yeah. But anyways, a company that develops diapers named uh, Mary's. Merizu in Katakana. Sara Sara. Oh, the air, air through, I guess the katakana would translate, so uh, fluffy, but the air goes through or something like that. But anyways, these diapers are not necessarily cheap in China because, you know, they're made in Japan, you know, exported into China where in the cost of labor in Japan is, you know, compared to China, much, much more. But the company started seeing, noticing this demand in China, and so they decided, um, let's just put a factory over there. And they've they've been trying to meet demand, but you know they they're aware that it might be, potentially could be you know like a boom, a temporary you know spike. But they're they're definitely pushing as many diapers as they can over there and trying to, you know, assess the market and things like that. 
I guess we'll just have to wait and see if this uh, will turn into a trend where the Chinese consumer wants to buy the the more expensive uh, Japanese product or foreign product. I mean, there there are anecdotally, I know the people, uh, coworkers and friends of mine who have lived in China said that sometimes people prefer buying non-Chinese products because they trust them more. I don't know this is if this is a fact or not, but I'm just stating what I've heard in the past. But uh, eh, interesting. I think we're moving on to the next story. Next story is kind of kind of interesting. And in, uh, there's these cards that you can get. There's lots of paid cards, but one of them is called the Suica. S U I C A. Suica Pasmo card. Basically, it's a card that you can charge with money, and you can use it at train stations. And yep, you pretty much use it anywhere. You get money on it. And you can use it at the convenience store. You can use it to go through the the train turnstiles and things like that. But so the companies that that run this J- Japan JR Japan Railroad decided that they're gonna anonymize this data and sell it to third parties. And we know the in the past that anonymized data can can usually, with not much work, be traced back to to uh, the source or close to the source. And the reason, one of the reasons why the Japanese have been up in arms at this is because uh, train stations use this. So the person owning the card goes through the train station at certain times. And if that data gets out, can you imagine like some stalkers stalking girls or ladies or whatever? And uh, just general information like that. That's just not a good thing to be out there for, you know, the the crazies. I mean, Japan is a safe country but every country has the crazies yeah so i thought it was an interesting story and uh they're getting jr's getting a lot of flack from this and and i remember when i was working at the public schools uh it got to the point where we were not allowed to take pictures of the students of course they could take pictures of us all day long which kind of pissed me off it's like you're gonna take my picture i'm gonna take yours back you know and the kids they didn't know any better but i guess they just the rule was, you know, under under eighteen or under whatever age, uh, they 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 deserve their privacy, and they they or the parents should control where the pictures go. So I can understand it, but that kind of intermingles with this story here, saying that that uh, this anonymized information will be sold to third parties so they can market and put ads and things like that. But but people are really really worried because in the past, you know anonymized data has been not so anonymized and people have found out and you know things bad things happen so we'll see what happens with that i think this is a big up, uproar will happen and they're gonna they're gonna have to do something about this probably would have been better if they didn't tell anybody they were doing this whatever we'll see how how that pans out okie dokie next story is really really interesting story it kind of talks about the life of an idol and if you don't know what an idol is i do do i do 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 i do do is uh you know those young girl groups like AKB48, Morning Musume, and, and even Japanese idols like the the Girls Generation or Kata or things like that. But they basically the article is saying how crappy their life is, how many hours they work, and they got to ask permission to sleep and eat, and they can't be seen in public with their boyfriends or because they got to maintain that pure image. But to me, more interesting. This is a really long article in the Japan Times, and I'll link up to it. Is is the genesis of this the whole idol thing? And I didn't know, but it it uh basically stemmed from after World War II, when you know there were a lot of of uh, parentless 
children, especially girls who would basically do dancing shows or singing shows or music or whatever for the GIs to get money and food and things like that. So it came and started out of that. So that thought I found that to be really interesting. And I'm not going to say anymore. You definitely want to go read this article. This thing's pretty, really interesting from a sociology standpoint and just, you know, general information about Japan and, and how things developed after World War II. So highly, highly recommend you check it out. And uh, I think I'll, I'll in the article talk there because I don't want to read the whole article online and, you know, nobody goes and checks out the link. You definitely want to go check out this article. And there's lots of good um, vocabulary too. Uh, the Japanese vocabulary, for example, agency boss or famous concert hall in Tokyo. And you can do a little bit of studying and kind of get get up into the public auditions, talent shows, scouts. And uh, what else we got here? Singing power, war orphans. And luckily they put the kanji there next to the, the old uh, English and the katakana, things like that. So you can look it up. And if you use, if you remember from a couple podcasts ago, I did recommend a plug-in for Firefox. It'll switch that kanji, kanji into furigana, hiragana. So you can actually look it up easily in a dictionary. So you might want to check back a couple episodes in the show notes and you can find that out. Okay, let's roll into the old next story. So the next story is uh, talking a little bit about Abenomics, which is, uh, I guess, kind of, goes back to the Reaganomics or, you know, all the economic stimuluses that leaders try to do to get the country out of a slump. But uh, a couple of entrepreneurs kind of chimed in to, to basically give Abe a bollocking or, you know, give give them their two cents. And uh, the, the most interesting that came out of the article, interesting thing that came out of the article for me was uh, this phrase or this concept of Galapagos syndrome. And, uh, it's, um, it definitely exists. I mean, one example, I'm interested in cars, the Japanese K car, the K Jirosha, the mini car, uh, really successful in Japan, great market, great cars. And they just never make it out of the country. Their cell phones before the iPhone, awesome phones, just didn't export them. Didn't get them out. I mode the technology, the, uh, the NTT developed for mobile websites barely made it you know pretty much didn't make it out of the country so so many different things that were successful in japan that they just left in the country didn't make it out so a couple of the entrepreneurs bring that up saying oh mr abe we're not doing too good here you know we've had successful products locally or inside but we haven't made it out and uh, this is what the galapagos theory is you know galapagos islands have a lot of unique species that never made it past the, the islands. So same thing with products and services and, and things in Japan. There's so many things that are in Japan that are really successful that the companies for some strange reason don't export and sell, you know, um, internationally video game franchises, some consoles that never made it out that people used to get through gray markets, things, lots and lots of things out there. So, Another great read that I'll link up to in, in this thing. And it's cool that the some of the big successful entrepreneurs are, are chiming in to this Abenomics thing. And you can read more about it in this article I'll link up to. But to me, the, the more interesting thing is the whole Galapagos syndrome that uh, has, has – I mean, these days it's a lot easier to get the rare things 
through eBay, through you know Yahoo Auctions Japan, uh, even Amazon. You know, it, pretty much anything you want from Japan, you can buy if you don't mind spending that extra money. But it would be nice if these companies actually distributed this stuff internationally. Yeah. Okie dokie. I think that's enough for that story. Let's let's move into something else. Next story. What do we got here? Is talking about uh, the gold ring burger, the old one thousand yen burger from McDonald's. So it looks like McDonald's is having these special things. This one day was it one day or uh, very very limited supply hamburgers. And the first one they they pushed out was called the gold ring burger, and it's a thousand yen with you know the the set. And the thing looks pretty big, and it's the funny thing is it's in this this box, this white box, you know, that you would probably see it at some kind of a department store or something, sitting next to the cola and the French fries. And I'll link to the picture. You got to go check out tijg.com to see it. And then, uh, ta-da! It's wrapped in this gold uh, cardboard ring to keep it, you know, to keep it in one piece. And then the burger, which it looks like, what is it? Uh, hamburger, pineapple, and some kind of pork or bacon, like big chunks of freaking pork or bacon and cheese, of course, in a, on a, uh, looks like a sesame seed type, you know, special bun. So and it comes in a pack and it, you know, it's, it's limited only. Even one of my buddies that's teaching in Japan, uh, Jason, uh, I'll link up to his show, his, uh, channel on channels on YouTube. He has multiple, my Argonauts and he does lots of good vlogs and, and, information about teaching as a jet and sumo and all kinds of stuff. So I'll link up to that too. But he actually tried to get one, but they were sold out. So he failed, but they're going to have more and more. And, uh, this, this link I'll, I'll link up to actually has pictures of the, the Japanese and the picture, the story behind it. And then one, two, three, four, five, six, six pictures of it. So you will be able to check it out. But, uh, I think Jason said next time he's going to make effort, make an effort to get there much earlier. So he'll, and he said he's going to do a video. So as soon as he does it, I'll link it up in the podcast show notes over to com, and you can check it out, but it looks pretty freaking good. Actually, I guess it's kind of the size of a, a North American Angus burger. Okay, that was a little bit of uh, a sample of this group that's uh, an article I read over, I forgot what site, I'll have to link up to it, but uh, it's uh, the group is Dempagumi, and uh, so the article said that um, this one was the, the best J-pop of the year, comma, so far, and the reason why this person actually said it was because they were... Um, they were pushing the limits of J-pop, not the usual overproduced stuff. So when I read the article, I was like, okay, let me go check these guys out. I knew the video was on YouTube. And, of course, you know it's going to be linked up in the show notes. So I checked it out, had a listen, and I was like, really? Really? 
this this is typical produced overproduced uh, over this typical j-pop there was no unique or uh well how should i say it uh original qualities about this the only difference was at the beginning they had uh multiple languages some of them were japanese some of them weren't but th- this video that i'm linking to has subtitles that kind of explain it uh, and translate it so but i thought i mean it, they're cute they're j-pop it's a happy-go-lucky kind of cool song which is typical J-pop. So I guess I, from reading the article, I expected too much, but uh, I figured I'd I'd uh, feature them because I'm trying to kind of keep everyone in the loop of the what's going on in J-pop, past and present. And uh, this this episode, I decided to feature somebody from current current J-pop charts. Okay, I think that's enough for today's show. We're going to wind this down in about 30 minutes, and uh, we'll see you again next week for another episode. We'll be on episode... Oh, next week will be episode 70 of TEIJG. This is, of course, 69. Infamous 69. So uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on the old iTunes. It really, really helps us out.